fucking drummer, I shit him. One, two, one, two, three, four. You're doing it fucking wrong. You did it. You did it in the beginning. Bloody hell, I can't play with that. Hey? Well, you're fucking doing it. <laughs> Why don't you just do what you fucking started out doing? Dabba, 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 cha. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. All right. So, the Oscars. Gabe, did you, did you watch the Oscars? I couldn't watch it. I just knew that a couple of my picks came in, and I had to rub it in when they did. Hmm. Uh, I mean, one of your picks came in hardcore. Most of your other picks whiffed. No, I picked Jamie Lee Curtis and Brendan Fraser. Let's go through this, Ben. All right. Best Supporting Actor, I think we all called it. Best Supporting Actor. Can you say it for me one more time, Gabe? Judd Hirsch? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. You didn't get it. You went with Judd Hirsch. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Gabe, famously, right. Let's go from <laughs> the top taxi. here. Okay, I will say Everything, that everywhere, all at once. We, we okay. Oh, go you're ahead, starting then. from the top. You're no, starting no, from the ahead. the biggest one. I was going to do say it what? In, I was going to do it in order of how. They well, I, I okay, you do it. But I I listened to the episode uh, earlier today to sort of oh, like remember who picked what. Good, thank you. Then you do it. But all I want to say is Judd Hirsch did get a lot more screen time during the Oscars than I ever imagined. So yeah, was, you should. You should have watched that shit, Gabe. No, it's hard to watch. Uh, two hours, three hours of that garbage. Jimmy oh Kimmel's not God. funny. Did, don't on. give me that shit. No. You know, uh, and it's one thing I would like to point out about Judd Hirsch. He was nominated before. For Taxi. For, for Ordinary no. People? Ordinary People. Okay. Best Supporting Actor. He for didn't taxi. win then. What's the matter with you? That's and he didn't win show. this year. <laughs> He'll have his date. Maybe. No, he won't. (laughs) That was his day. I want to say thank God he wasn't nominated for that Running on Empty movie, which I always hated. Dude, I love that Running on Empty movie. It's a great movie. Gabe, you'll love Running on Empty. All right, so out of the eight that we picked, we we picked picture, the actor categories, the director, and the screenplay. Out of eight, Ben and I tied for four. But Gabe got three. Wow. And Gabe doesn't give two shits about any of this. <laughs> and I haven't seen any of the movies. And he got three. Well, I, I haven't got seen spooked. or not seen the movies is not 
it's not an asset. No. Right but then. listening to you was not an asset because you convinced me that Brendan Fraser wasn't going to win it. And I had originally picked Brendan Fraser the first time we went through them. Uh, I'm just happy that uh, that even if you jinxed me, at least your Austin Butler thing didn't happen. Well, listen, no one made you go for Colin Firth. I know. You did that yourself. I know. Listening to me. You're, you're grown. Now, the fact that I bought the whole Austin Butler uh-huh. is going to win narrative. It cost me two categories. Not just that one, but for makeup. Oh. So that one hurt. Mm. But, but, but I should say, at my, uh, my own pool that I had at Randy Payne's house on Sunday night, I got 18 correct out of 23. So I did pretty goddamn good. You won. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I won. Oh, yes. Yeah. Randy's Randy's son is a is a crazy, crazy film fanatic, and it's his dream to beat me at the <laughs> Oscar poll, and it is my reality to just destroy him every year. What was his final count? Uh, three. Are you serious? <laughs> Wouch. No, uh, it wasn't. It was much better. It was. Uh, he might have got 14 or 15 or something like that. The, the, the only real heartbreaker for me all night was uh, Sarah Polly. Couldn't, couldn't believe that happened. But you, you okay. called it. See, you should have listened to me. Maybe uh, listening to me isn't the worst thing in the world. No, it's not the worst. We all, well, you and I got Michelle Yao. Gabe was with, who, was, who did you go with again, Gabe? Did I say Kate Blanchett? No. No. You said Michelle Williams. Oh, okay. oh that's Michelle right. Williams. It was Michelle Williams. She's won before. Sounds like she's a fluke. Has she won? I don't know if she has. Okay, he, listen, if Michelle Williams was nominated in the Best Supporting Actress, which is what she should have been nominated in, she would have won. Who put her in Best Actress? Somebody that didn't want to see her win? Kehi Kwan. Kehi Kwan? What are you laughing at, Gabe? I say it better than you do. Name is short round. <laughs> ben and I both got. Gabe went for Judd Hirsch, as we said. Yes, you call him Doctor Jones, lady. Jamie Lee Curtis. Gabe called it. Me too. I knew it. I knew it. Ben rode my coattails on that one. Yeah, I rode your coattails. Well, I'll tell you guys something else. Um, after the SAG Awards, I changed my <laughs> my vote to her. <laughs> uh, original screenplay. I, I don't think any of us really. Put in for it. I mean, I think I put in for Martin McDonough, but you guys kind of trailed off when I listened back to it. Mm. Uh, for adapted screenplay, I went all in for Sarah Polly. You two went all in for Glass Onion. Hang, hang on. I think I said they might give screen, original screenplay to the Daniels because they're never going to give him for director. So I think I called. You said they might, screenplay. but you didn't I, go for it. You said for me. Then you said, my book, uh, that's yeah, it, yeah, me. it's probably going to be Martin McDonough. I mean, you were just going back. Oh, did and I forth. say that? Okay. Yeah, I can't really give it to you. Okay. The fact that we all went in for Spielberg—that's mm. the embarrassing part. Yeah. But yeah, so the Oscars are over, and you'll never have to listen to us talk about it again until next year. Yeah, Faithful another three hundred fifty days at least before we out of eight. Oscars. Ben and I tied with four, Gabe three. A very respectable three. Yes. I, I, I want to let you know, Gabe. 
considering I, I was I, impressed. Yes, I have no knowledge of any of these movies, and I picked three just by picturing the best helmet. It's not that hard for you to just like Google something and like just Google, Google Oscars and just take Google a look anything. at it. No, I just listened to it's the not commentary. That tough. What commentary? I, the commentary the in your heads, head? The pundits. You didn't listen. To, you just pundits. said you didn't listen to any pundits. <laughs> You're the pundit. Pundit? Are you putting another N in that word? No. I'm just saying you guys are yes. the fucking heads. You're the David Byrne. <laughs> oh, that that the fucking hot dog fingers. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't watch that old man up there. Oh my god! <laughs> What'd you call him? An old man? He was an old man up there. <clears throat> it's unwatchable. That well, Gabe's rocking watch. a new microphone post Oscar. He sure is. You... Somehow this microphone came. Santa came early this year. This is a nice microphone. Audio Technica, whatever. Sounds nice. Somebody cares about you. I don't know who You're the well, hell uh, cares you. about you, uh, this, but this somebody is, cares uh, about you. Sounds good in my head and, and on the podcast, you, I hope. Yeah, You really outdid yourself last week. And by outdid yourself, I mean you sounded like crap. And so we had to, <laughs> we had to fix that. Gabe, what's the most unpunk thing you've done this week? Unpunk Gabe, unpunk Gabe, unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. Unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. You're putting me on the spot again. I didn't know if we we're gonna do this bit or not. Most unpunk thing. I counted steps on my phone. You know, got you got that app. That uh, oh, stepometer no. thing. I did it, over 25,000 steps on Saturday and Sunday combined. I thought you were going to say you did over 25 steps. No, 25,000. What was on the On Saturday occasion? and Sunday? What did you yes, do? 12 and, I, was, I was without a car for a couple of days, so I had to make a trip. I, I had a bag of packages from orders, and I walked it one hour uh-huh. there and one hour back. So people say, hey... My order came a couple days late. Hey, I had to walk to the post office to get your stuff in the mail. And the next day, I had to go back and do something else. Uphill both ways. Uphill. In the wind. So, but so I how do you my feel? Steps. Do you feel better? Do you think maybe this should be a weekly thing? I need new shoes if I'm going to do this because my feet were killing me after I got done. But the goal was to get my steps in. I haven't had that many steps, steps since... We played those Metallica shows, and I had to walk up and down all those big arenas. Did you ca- count your steps then? Yes, I did. And the biggest one was when we played Dallas, uh, the, the Arlington, the home of the Cowboys. Oh, my God. Because that place brutal. is huge. Brutal. And we, had, and we had to walk all over the place to get the liquor yep, and all that stuff. counting yep. steps. That's the most unpunk thing I've done. Pretty Counting unpunk. My steps. Unpunk Gabe, unpunk Gabe, unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. Unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. Gabe, you non-punk you. Who do we have on the show today? Today we have Todd Phillips. And if you Google him or look him up, you're going to see a, a hundred Todd Phillips out there. He's drummer extraordinaire from... Yes, good point. Bullet point. LaVolta. Juliana Hatfield played with the Lemonheads and is now working in L.A. Not by drums. Directing movies. He directed The Joker. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that Todd Phillips, a different Todd Phillips. Todd might have created the trailer for The Joker. Wouldn't that be cool? 
Todd Phillips creating the trailer for a Todd Phillips movie. Yeah. I'm sure he gets confused with the Todd Phillips, right? Todd Phillips, our Todd Phillips, the one that we have today, is uh, 1L. That Todd Phillips, the one who used to be a great comedy director, has two L's. That's the difference. And a lot more zeros on his check. You don't know that. What does it matter? <laughs> We're all going to die. Some of Great. us sooner than others. Thank you. <laughs> ben? Yes. I think what it's time want? for a, new, a, a bit we haven't had in a while. Oh, yeah. You want to do that? Yes. All hey, right. We got another bit. What's the bit? I mean, we could, but do I have time to put this together this week is the real question. <laughs> we could do a song imploder. There's been a request <laughs> uh, on the internet. Oh, people have been uh, asking for a certain song imploder, haven't they? Yeah. Right? Yes. You up for this? What are they asking for, Ben? They want to hear the story of all the kids are right slash lead pipe cinch. How did we get from one place to the other? And what were some of the signposts along the way? Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. You want to do that one? You're listening to Song Imploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made and then talk shit about those songs and make you embarrassed you asked about them in the first place. My name is Ben Reiser. All the kids basically started, there was this bar here down the street in Chicago. It was called, uh, no, it was called Borderline. Gabe, you remember Borderline? I do remember Borderline. There was a lot of late nights there. Yes. So at, I was having a late night at Borderline. Uh, Sean Rice used to work there. And I remember I was writing the lyrics to this song, which was going to become Lead Pipe Cinch. And I was writing them on napkins because that's what I used to do, write songs on napkins. Um, so I had this song and it was about a guy at a bar uh, waiting to get served, drinking up his nerve thinking about he's going to make a call, you know, it's, it was almost like a country song, you know, it was, it was like the, the, just the lamest type of country song. Like I'm drinking at a bar and hope I get my nerve to call you. And it's just kind of like, like the, the music that, that I eventually wrote for it, you know, I loved and it was kind of, it kind of had sort of a country stones type of thing happening, which kind of fit the lyric. But after we listened to the demo, I was just kind of like, this is just, this is a great song, but the lyrics are just too hacky. You know, I can't really do this. And I, I know that there's kind of a story going around that the label made me change the lyrics, but that's not the case. I wanted to change these lyrics because I thought it was total hack. I've gone from feeling wired to feeling sick and tired at least a dozen times tonight. Waiting to get served, drinking up my nerve. Hoping that I get it right Feeling like I've lost everything 
I mean, I, I think the lyrics for the chorus that we eventually used on uh, on Pack Up the Cats for the short version, the Lead Pipe Cinch, I think those are good lyrics. Those work. narrative about a guy in a bar doing shots and you know waiting to call somebody it, it that's cheese ball and it's it's not for me i can't remember i think i might have had the melody in my head i can't exactly remember but yes i'm yes i'm yes i did have the melody so it was definitely writing the lyrics to that melody so, I mean, maybe I had written the song beforehand. I can't really remember, but I think it's possible that I was at the bar. I had the melody in my head and I started writing these lyrics. And then the next day I picked up guitar and started writing the song to that melody, which happens sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes it happened. And, and I think that was an instance where that happened. But once I decided to change the lyrics, uh, I remember I was at, I was downtown at the Fine Arts Movie Theater, and I was watching Kundun, Martin Scorsese movie. And uh, midway through the movie, my mind started drifting, and I, I started, uh, I had the idea for these lyrics that, that about us playing a really shitty show, and everybody kind of like going, oh, they suck now, and you know, the band starting to suck. And by the time the movie was over, I had all the lyrics for all the kids. You heard that we were lame, but now you think we're lame. Since you saw the show last night, you hoped that we would rock and knock it up a notch. Rocking was nowhere in sight. And it's never good when it goes bad. No one likes to feel like they've been But even then, it still wasn't quite done because we had, and Gabe remembers this, we had this show that we played after we got signed and after the first record came out um, where we played at Urbandale High School. Was that what it was, Gabe? Yeah, that was uh, Urbandale, Iowa, a high school. And uh, two or three songs into it, uh, the show was cut short. Right, got shut down. Uh, and, and our remember there was like a, a newspaper article about it and the 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 headline was uh bands set gets cut short or something grunge kids hold a grudge and that was the headline and so the original lyrics of the song uh were all the grunge kids hold a grudge those are the li original lyrics and it just was too clunky. It wasn't working. So we just, 
just went to all the kids instead of all the grunge kids. So, I mean, you could, you could sort of, all the grunge kids, hold a grudge. It just wasn't quite working. Once we changed it to all the kids, I was like, all right, all the kids, you know, the kids are all right, you know, the who. I mean, it, it, it became kind of an obvious thing to do. And, and I like that title. I like messing with it. I think some old who fans weren't too, too uh, happy with it. But that's the thing, because the, the kicker of, of the chorus used to be, uh, they saw what you did, and all the kids, they know your name. So that is actually where I got into sixes and sevens with the label, where it was kind of like the, the song was called All the Kids Are Right. At that point, it was called that. Uh, and they were like, wait, there, you don't say All the Kids Are Right in the song. And having just come out of all the trouble with uh, Bound for the Floor and with the copacetic song, they're like, you know what? Let's not do that again. Can you just <laughs> please figure out a way? to put the title somewhere in the song. And they loved the song. They were totally into it. They're just like, can you just do this? And I'm like, no, how dare you? And then I was just kind of like, all right, let's do this. And I did it grudgingly. But this was a situation where the label was totally right. I mean, it, it's a much better song with uh, You're All Wrong and All the Kids Are Right. Uh, it's much better than what it was. So score one for the label. I mean, I was really into the Stones at that point. Um, and, and so, like, when I say country type of thing, you know, it, country has filtered through the Stones. And not even, like, the country Stones songs, but more stuff like um, Tumbling Dice or something like that. So, so the version that we, we cut that was called Lead Pipe Cinch, uh, the demo, that kind of maybe led into it but but it was still always gonna kind of it wasn't it was never gonna sound like a country song or even a stone song it was just my idea of what a stone song was but on the original version it's almost like the chorus is more like a bridge and so you know knowing that and knowing that that's where the song really takes off we expanded that and made it made it less of a bridge and more of a chorus but even still, there was still a problem with it. I wanted to do a double chorus at the end, but I couldn't quite figure out how to do it without being clunky. And, and uh, Roy Thomas Baker knew exactly how to do that, where it just would like sort of fuse off and we, we lopped off a chunk and it totally, it worked. I was like, oh, holy shit, that works. I remember that point and I'm like, yep, he knows what he's doing.
if I think Surrender by Cheap Trick is the greatest song of all time, and I do, uh, any song that I've ever written, this is as close as it gets to, to that. So, so I would have to say this is the best song that I've ever written, you know, within that mode, as far as a pop song that's funny and, you know, just has that really anthemic quality to it. I don't know. I don't think I've ever done anything that's as good as that. I'm not against writing another one, you know, and this time maybe when I sing it, I won't sound like a Muppet. And now in its entirety, here's All the Kids Are Right by Local H. You heard that we were great, but now you think we're lame since you saw the show. Yeah. 
Song imploder. Okay, Gabe, which which bit do you like better? Song imploder? Or what's the most unpunk thing Gabe has done this week? You have to think about this? Wow. He really <laughs> is in love with himself, isn't no, he? No, no. Song imploder is one thing. It's it's digging deep into the songs of the catalog. Hey everybody, it's Todd Phillips. Hi, Todd. Hey, Scott. Been a while. Yeah, it has. How are you? I'm good. Have you gotten over being pissed about tar? Um, nope. Uh, I'm going to carry that with me for a long time, actually. It was... Did you... What did you think about tar? I love tar. Yeah. It just wasn't... It came out in the wrong year, I think. Like, it was... The deck was stacked, so... I think any great movie comes out in the wrong year when it comes to the Oscars. Yeah. I think and, you're right. And I think I, I had... Uh, I'd even resign myself to like the, the one award that I thought it was a lock for Kate Blanchett. I was like, you know what? It's never going to get that. And I'm okay with that. You know? Yeah. I think she was okay with it. You can kind of tell like she's, she's one enough. <laughs> well, now you're, you're in the middle of all that out there now. You're, you're in the biz, right? I'm in Le biz, Le biz robs. Um, <laughs> so you get the screeners and all that shit. I'm not in the Academy, so I don't get screeners. Um, but I work in marketing. I make the trailers and all the TV spots that you see. And um, so I see a lot of each year's, you know, material. How long have you been out there? I've been in L.A. for 25 years. Oh, man. Which I can't fucking believe because <laughs> that just means I'm so old. Like, I, mean, I basically moved here when I decided to, like, I'd had it with Boston. Um I had stopped playing with Juliana, and yeah. um, Matt Sharp from Weezer was just about to put out the second rentals record, and he asked me to come out and be the drummer for that, and that ended up just like falling apart. Like Maverick basically dropped them before the record came out, and Matt couldn't get his shit together, and um, I kind of played with Jennifer Finch from L7 for a little bit, and the thing right, she other had star going. people, right, right, and then. Really quickly, I was just like sick of being poor my entire adult life. And I bumped into an old friend of mine from high school who was out here, and he had just learned how to edit on the Avid, which at that point was pretty new. You know, digital editing had just happened. And he was editing TV commercials, and he said, learn this thing. Like, if you learn the Avid, like, your life will be set. And he was 100% correct. <laughs> like, I learned it. I was early in, and my first job just happened to be at a trailer house. So it's just like... It changed my life really fast. Which trailer house? Um, back then, it was a place called TKO Pictures, uh-huh. which was started by a guy named Tom Kennedy, who started the first trailer company in Los Angeles, which was called Kaleidoscope, back in the early 80s. It used to just be done in-house at, at film studios, and then he got he and a bunch of other people got the idea, like, no, this should be treated like real advertising. Like, there should be agencies that make these better. And... Um, so he opened up a small boutique in 1999, and I went to work for him. It was a yeah. great place to start. Yeah. But you still play music. Yeah, it's kind of like, at that point, I decided to stop touring and just focus on having a, a career in film. And I didn't go on the road basically from 1999 to 2012. So I took like 13 years off. 
but I was still making music with um, my buddy Juan from Brainiac. He and I were mm-hmm. making some records and um, put out a thing called Model Actress. David Yao sang on it. Um, thick Yeah, that Model Actress stuff is fucking good. Thank you. Um, I did that. And then, yeah, around 2011, 2012, it was sort of that era where like the 20th anniversaries of Become What You Are and It's a Shame About Ray were happening all at the same time. And both Evan and Jules asked me to go back on the road. So I decided to take time off and go do that and i've sort of been doing it on and off the last 10 years with both of them so so you get the good stuff without the bad stuff it's exactly it's very mature at this point <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's real, there's never any fights you know you, there's always going to be a crowd we all get our own hotel rooms so it's like you know exactly what you're getting and it's it's it's, it's super easy right yeah. so you're from boston from boston and when did you first get started? Because I'm guessing you were a punk rock kid. Total punk rock kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I saw the decline on Night Flight when I was uh-huh. 12 or something. That changed, <laughs> you know, I was a classic rock kid, of course. Um, I saw X on, on the decline. It really changed things for me. And right at the same time... Um, someone had hipped me to the Mission of Burma record Versus, which was pretty local in Boston, but, you know, has quite a lot of acclaim. And um, So they yeah. were local. Like, Mission of Bur- Burma is, like, Bur- in your backyard, but somebody had to hip you to them? Yeah, well, it's like I wasn't hip to local bands yet. I was still young, so super young that I wasn't going to clubs. You know, I was still 13, 14, 15 years old. If I would go to a club, it would be, like, an all-ages show to see, you know, The Descendants or Dag Nasty or, like, you know, that sort of realm of hardcore bands. Um, but the local Boston scene was really steeped in Burma. It was, like, Volcano Sons... Uh, moving targets, you know, just these great. This band called Sorry, who are who are totally great. Christmas, I don't know if you ever heard of Christmas. They were mm-hmm. fucking great. Um, Big Dipper, and I went to a Dag Nasty show when I was 16, and Ken Chambers from the Moving Targets was there, and I'd heard that his drummer had quit, and I was a huge, huge fan of the Moving Targets record. I don't know if are you guys familiar with that album, Burning mm-hmm. in Water? Mm-hmm. No, no, I would say that it's the Husker Du's best song is as good as Moving Target's worst song. All right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how fucking good it is. It is crazy <laughs> and brilliant record. And I bummed into Ken Chambers. I was a junior in high school. I heard his drummer quit, and I just walked up to him at this Dag Nasty show at TT the Bears, and I said, I'm just a junior in high school, but I'm obsessed with your record, and I heard you're looking for somebody, and he said, let's jam, and we did, and I was in the Moving Target's.
I wasn't old enough to get into the clubs. He booked four shows. Um, the first show I did with them was at a place called Green Street Grill. No, Green Street Station. And mm-hmm. opening up was Bullet LaVolta, who I would later go on to join. Uh-huh. It was like their first or second show. And a totally unknown band called the Pixies played second. Um, <laughs> totally unknown. Totally unknown at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Um, so that summer I played with Moving Targets. And then I went back to, I went to boarding school in New Hampshire. So I had to go do my senior year of high school up in New Hampshire. I got into college in Boston the next so, year. What, wait, wait, wait. You're going to boarding school? Were you a bad kid? No, no, no. It's just sort of a Northeast thing. It's okay. like, I was just, I didn't fit in in public high school. You know, I was punk rock kid and a lot of the northeast prep school scene is sort of it's not uncommon to go to boarding school right in the northeast so i went um did my senior year got into college in boston went to emerson college in boston and bullet lavolta was getting huge and their drummer quit like right when i got to emerson and i went and auditioned for them and i got the gig and stayed in school until spring but then we got signed to rca like really fast and so yeah i left college and just spent the next five years on the road with those guys so were your only records that you did with them on rca or did you do one yeah of they're, on they're tang? their first drummer chris gutmacher was on the the ep and the lp that were on tang um but i actually joined the band before the tang record came out it's like he'd recorded it and then it came out that spring and i was already in the band that was the so, gift <laughs> so what was the whole boston tang scene like um, hanging out with a uh, springer a lot yeah, springer pretending to be straight edge yeah, yeah um yeah it was weird i mean hardcore pretty much died and at that point it was like lavolta was huge Lemonheads were getting huge blake babies um big dipper were pretty big um in every buffalo tom was just starting right and it was very communal it was like there was no competition bands weren't you know they, there was no gel everybody supported each other and it was sort of centered around um do you know billy ruane do you know who he was yeah he started music at the middle east he was sort of a um patron of the arts he was an incredibly wealthy blue blood guy from new york who transplanted to to boston and he had this huge trust fund and he would just put on shows and he started shows at the middle east and everything kind of centered around the scene at the middle east i think that was it was like they would do shows on wednesday nights and saturday afternoons and saturday nights like galaxy 500 came up right then and wow. it's just just a great bunch of bands and very like i said just family like there was i've kind of felt like you guys in chicago were like that like you and triple fast and fig dish and ruka salt like was it competitive there, or no no there was there was there was some of that the family thing but the, the the difference was uh none of us were as good as the bands that were in boston that you're talking about <laughs> God. i mean you guys were great not uh, yeah well, i don't know i loved i loved all of those bands that i just mentioned from chicago but um the huge well, so thing the huge thing that changed our lives was that spring of 89 um the Lemonheads and Bull Volta got invited to go to Europe. And um, we toured. It was like a seven-week tour. It was massive. And the response over there was insane. It was like 
every single night. I think the smallest crowd we played in front of was 500 people, and mm. it grew from there. And there was this thing that was happening, like Mud Honey had been there. You know, right. I think Nirvana had gone over a, lot, a few of the sub pop bands that toured over there. Um, and they were just starving for American guitar rock. Like they, they loved it, and they treated us with respect. Like we had incredible accommodations. It was so different from touring in the states. Um, and that summer, that tour was just—it was. Our guitarist Clay Tarver described it recently as. Um, it was so much fun that he feels like it made him crazy, like for the rest of his life. Like it was just, it was like too good to be true. And like when you get something like that so young, it's really confusing, you know? I mean, it was just so incredible. Um, and while we were there, yeah, we got signed to RCA. Lemonheads got signed to Atlantic as a result of that tour. And um, you have to remember at that point. It's so weird that American labels were tuned into what was going on over there because yes. it wouldn't be too much later that they didn't give a shit what was going on over there. You know? Right. And it was this thing where we, we didn't, weren't sure we wanted to sign with a major. Like the only pe- bands that were our peers that had signed at that point were like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur mm-hmm. Jr. That was it. You know, right. like Nirvana hadn't signed yet. Like none of the, the feeding frenzy hadn't happened. And the guy who signed us was this guy, Bob Fiden, who was, um, he was sort of key in, in getting Patti Smith signed to Arista originally. So he mm-hmm. had really great taste. He came from a really great place. And we expressed to him our reservations about it. And he just kind of like sat us down and said, look, <laughs> I've been in this business for a long time. <laughs> What's happening right now, I don't know what it is, and I don't know what to call it, but it's only happened twice before. It happened after Woodstock, where we wanted to give these bands a chance, and it happened after the Ramones record came out, we wanted to give these bands a chance. And he's like, something's happening right now. He's like, I don't know if it's Jane's Addiction, you know, getting to hear, or Faith No More getting to hear, you know, because that was sort of what happened right before... Right. 90, 91, right? Yeah. Those bands were just as important as that happening. And so he said, look, you have, I'm offering you this window to go through. Like, go through it. Like, it's, something's going to happen. And of course, it, ha- you know, it happened in Nirvana and Soundgarden, you know? But right. we were given that opportunity. Um, it just didn't pan out. Well, I mean, you went on tour with Soundgarden, right? We did. The first year, um, they were touring for their first A&M record, Louder Than Love, and we were touring for The Gift, and we had a great time. Yeah, we toured with them for a couple of months. Um, They had a drive in them that was really... I think they came from a different place. I don't think they came from... I think they were always really trying to make it, Mm -hmm. which is not... I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like They were incredibly driven to be huge and that was a good thing um we learned a lot from them i learned a lot from watching matt cameron every night who were some of the other bands you went on tour with that first year that 89 90 year was like we toured with mud honey we did shows wow. with afghan wigs toured with the fluid um yeah it was just the thing it was all bubbling up and you know and everybody loved each other it was like you know, as we'd play with Mudhoney in San Diego and be like, God, everybody should love this band. Or we'd play with Nirvana, you know, in, in Madison. Right. We'd be like, everybody should love this band. You know, little did we know that, like, just give it time. everybody was going to love those bands. Yeah, just give it a little bit of time. Um, so how did, how did the band fall? Did the band fall apart, would you say? Well, what happened was we, all those other bands, 
Their labels knew what were coming, like Bob Fiden did. Bob Fiden got very sick. Um, he was HIV positive, so he left the industry, the guy who signed us. And then the president of the label, Bob Buziak, the president of RCA, and he was also had a great background. He was involved with the MC5 and the Stooges. He came from Detroit. That's why he liked us. Yeah. He got fired, and RCA got taken over by Joe Galante, who ran RCA Nashville and still runs RCA Nashville, I think. Um, and he just didn't get us at all. Like, he... I think while we were in the studio making our major label record with Dave Jordan, who had done, like, Jane's Addiction, right. engineered Remain in Light, um, the, the publicist at RCA told... Rolling Stone that we had been dropped like while we were making our record <laughs> we weren't dropped yet like it was just a, a debacle um, they decided our record came out the same week as um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic Nevermind Bad Motor Finger Pearl Jam's 10 and RCA just didn't see that writing on the wall they put all their money behind the new Lita Ford record <laughs> which uh -huh. came out that month <laughs> and just sort of like hung us out to dry um, we did one tour that fall with Prong. Um, yeah. And it was very not really our scene. Like, they were way m more metal than we were. We were always kind of in a weird gray area where we'd play with Prong. We'd be like, oh, my God, we're so fucking, like, punk rock compared to these guys. But then we'd play with Mud Honey, and we'd be like, Jesus Christ, we're so metal compared to these guys. It was like right. we didn't really fit, you know easily anywhere um so we did that it wasn't great um and then we went back to europe for one last like two month long tour in the spring of 92 and it was great it was huge and really good and we got home and our singer was just you know we were making no money he was a new he he just had a kid he was a father and he yeah. he said he was going to leave the band so that was we decided to call it quits Summer of 92. Yeah. And it seems like you, you, I mean, I've talked to you about Bolt LaVolta before, and it, it seems like you've got, you know, you're proud of it. You're proud of everything you did in that band. Beyond proud. I loved it. We, like I said, we had so much fun. And um, we're all still tight. We see each other often. Um, everybody's doing cool, creative things. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade that experience in for the world.
those those four years, like '89 to I guess it was three years, '89 and '92. It was re- it was really special. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. So then you you get back home. And I got how, back home. How Juliana, long is it before, before you get with Juliana? Well, this is incredible because when LaVolta was still together, I had played drums on Hey Babe. Because um, Juliana and I were roommates. We had been roommates for years. Um, <laughs> it, it was funny because we were never in the apartment at the same time because either Blake Babies would be on the road or Bull LaVolta would be on the road. We were like... we past each other just like ships in the night you know like barely yeah it was perfect um so i played drums on hey babe um she was on the road supporting hey babe with i don't even know who's playing drums i think some guy from georgia um and she heard the lavolta was breaking up and she just called me up and she was like don't do anything (laughs) don't don't wait till i get home i have this huge tour planned in the fall um yeah, you're my guy. And I knew it would be comfortable because we were like great friends. Um, she got back and we got Dean Fisher and we toured for that entire fall until Christmas for Hey Babe. Mm-hmm. And we sort of decided that we wanted it to be more like a group. And so we started calling it the three. And then she got signed to Atlantic and like, God, it was so, I mean, Bulavolta played our last show on September 18th of 92, and then I went on tour with Juliana September 23rd. It was basically nonstop for 10 years after that. <laughs> like, it was, you know. So you, you're there watching Juliana get courted by all these labels, and mm-hmm. you kind of had already been there. I mean, what, what was that experience like for you to like sort of see that from... Well, it was a different beast because Juliana's so pop. So I had, and the 1991 revolution had already happened. Right. So the world was different, you know, and she was in very capable hands with Gary Smith, who was, I don't know if you know who he is. He was yeah. her manager. He discovered the Pixies and the Throwing Muses and he owned Fort Apache Studios. And um, I felt very taken care of and I trusted his guidance. And I think he steered her in the right direction. So, so Not what much about trepidation? Re- no. Well, so what about recording? Become what you are. You did that with Scott Litt. Yeah. Um, Were you an REM fan? I was an REM fan. I think wasn't everybody an REM fan if we came from indie rock? I mean, it was like I don't think Dave if you was. I liked REM, but not not like you. I mean, I revered them as like, they were the band that did everything right. They started as an indie band. They got bigger with each fucking record and like never compromised themselves. And it was just, when you had a question, you would like go to their camp. You would ask their management, like, what should we do here? Like they were just sort of like the epitome of how to do things right. Um, When we were on tour that fall, automatic for the people to come out and that was my favorite rem record since the very very early days and yeah. um so we were like let's talk to scott lit we talked to a lot of producers we talked to jerry harrison um gosh who else we talked to a bunch of people scott just seemed really cool and we wanted to get in with the rem camp you know which he was definitely a part of did you learn yeah. any good rem tricks or did he tell no. any great REM stories? Nope. <laughs> Come on. Not at all. We talked to Juliana. She said you'd remember these stories. I don't know. I mean, Scott was a blast to work with. He made it really comfortable. Um, I kind of listen to that record now, and I'm 
the way it sounds, I can't figure out how we spent the amount of money that we spent on it. It's kind of mind-boggling. Um, but Scott was a total blast. It, it couldn't have been more fun. I mean, it was a great, great couple of months. Um, we worked in some great studios. And he just really... He didn't really produce us much in terms of arrangements. He really just recorded us, you know. Right. Um, it sounds like a pretty unfussy record. Very unfussy, yeah. Yeah, there's not... I mean, I have demos of it that we recorded with John Williams, who was the guitarist of the Volcano Sons, um, in his house, and there's not much of a difference, <laughs> to right. tell you the truth, right, right. between those demos and the album. So, um, But like I said, it was she was happening. I mean, it was very, um, there was no doubt in my mind the next three years were going to be just insane. You know, it was, um, we, f we recorded the record. Gary never let us take a break. I mean, we recorded the record and then I think two weeks later we went to Australia to open for belly, even though we didn't have our record out yet. And we did that. We went up to Japan. We did like the summer festival circuit in London the album came out in August, and, like, and then it just started again. Like we toured the states, went back to Europe. It was it was an unbelievable schedule. Like right, yeah. And then spin the bottle happened, and then it starts going cranking up again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a three year cycle. You know, between Hey Babe and the end of Become What You Are, it was it was pretty pretty chaos. So I mean, what do you think about that? Like like knowing what you know now, you know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff doesn't last forever. Yeah, but at the time, did you just feel like, man, give us a fucking break? No, I. Well, there was a lot going on. <laughs> um, I was not taking care of myself. Right. I, that's sort of all I'll say about that. Yeah. And um, I wish I had been more present because mm -hmm. you know that was a once in a lifetime, you know, three year run that barely happens to anybody, and I think I was a little more checked out than I should have been. Um, but yeah, there is something about it where you think it's going to last a little bit longer, but it was never quite like that, that cycle. Like that was, well, you know what? Let me take that back. The, um, the only everything record didn't do as well as become what you are, but that, that touring cycle was bigger and grander. Like uh, we're playing to bigger crowds and it was kind of more fun. Did you leave before the recording of that record and then come back afterwards? Yeah, I went, I went to get healthy and she okay. recorded that record with Josh freeze on drums. Mm -hmm. And then she called me up at the beginning of that tour and was just like, I need you to come back. And I went back and it was great. Like the 95 tour, I think was the most fun I had. Were you, were you part of the, the, the like the EPs and all the B sides that were recorded for that stuff? Yep. Cause there's yep. like, some of that stuff is actually better than what's on the record. Like what? Which songs? No, you're going to put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up, dude. Yeah. Um, give me a second. I'm going to look at this. Um, oh, yeah. Rider, put it away. Here comes the pain. Um, oh, yes. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, that, that could have been, I don't know if they were all written at the same time or, or, or whatever, but there was like a, a, a barrage of EPs with all these extra songs, and, and it was like amazing. And I, yeah. I almost liked it more than the record. Yeah, there was a song called Ruthless that we wrote about um, Ruthie from the band Magna Pop. Yeah, we must have seen you half a dozen times around that time, uh, Scott. We, we used to go see her two or three times a year. Yeah, it was a lot. You guys were on tour a lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> 
I think we played the Metro that fall, um, and then came back through and we did a, um, God, it's a big place. It's a big theater and Veruca Salt opened up. Uh, Avalon? Riviera? Riviera, Riviera. that was probably it. Yeah. 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 Veruca Salt opened up? Yeah. They were just coming up. So you gave them their start. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I did. (laughs) You did. Like, I remember seeing you guys play the last time in Virginia. Oh, my God, that's right. We crossed paths. Yeah, that was at, um, yeah, some weird little place in Virginia. Yeah, and I remember, like, and, you know, that was was after you guys had gotten back together. Yeah. But I remember you playing, and some guy was, like, taking a picture of Juliana on the side of the stage. And I remember you, like... She was trying to talk or something, and you like said to that guy, "Hey, get the fuck out of here," you know. Like, yeah, and it just seems like you're always sort of you're always looking out for her. And yeah, I always she, thought that was sweet. Well, we're you know, I mean, we're like brother and sister. I mean, we've just been so tight for so long. She was one of the first people I ever met. Like that. Let's back up here. That summer of '87, when I was in Moving Targets, um, I first met Juliana and Frida. They came into a Targets gig. And I mm-hmm. met them. We've been friends ever since. I've been friends with her since I was 17 years old. Um, we're very tight. She, yeah, I feel like I look out for her. I mean, <laughs> I adore her, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's like a family. Uh, Dean as well. You know, Dean's incredible. Uh, what led to uh, the three reforming in 2015? I mean, because that was, that was God, unexpected. (laughs) Here's what it was. Um, I'd gone on tour with Lemonheads, and Juliana, I think, had come to some of the shows, and she asked me if I wanted to play drums on her next record, whatever the next record was going to be. And I said, yeah. And she sent me songs. She'd written the whole thing. Uh, She sent me some demos, and I said, well, why don't we ask Dean to do it? It would sort of, like, be a story, you know? And she agreed, and she asked Dean... It was weird because I actually hadn't seen Dean in about 10 years. He and I had just sort of drifted apart. Um, and the first time I had seen him since I'd say about like 2000 was when we went the first day in the studio in 2014 <laughs> when he walked in. Yeah. I hadn't seen him in ages. Um, and it was just like, and it was so easy. I mean, we just clicked immediately. We learned the songs there in the studio, just tracked them. And it was, it was, it was a blast. Was there like a goal to make it feel like no time had passed between the two records? We didn't discuss it at all. We just like, the songs were really cool. Um, there was no plan. We didn't even know if anybody would put it out or what, you know, it was just like, let's do it. And we did it and it, it worked out. Wait, so you guys just, you didn't know if anybody was going to put it out. No label was like, you should do we didn't, this. We didn't have any plan. Nothing. Yeah. We paid for it for, um, with like one of those GoFundMe things like oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are so many records to to keep track of she has like the biggest catalog it's oh my even... she's been kicking ass like since then i feel like she did that and then she put out the olivia newton john record and then this great record called pussycat which is in response to trump i love that record we toured i played drums on that tour um I feel like everything she's done since 2014, she's she's on a crazy roll. It's all been really good. I played on the Weird record, which came out in 2019, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
It's just like this little collective that keeps going. It's good. Yeah, it's nice. It's a yeah. career. Exactly. For her. Yeah, for her. <laughs> but, for you, but for you, too. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I don't want to gloss over uh, the other star people and model actress stuff that you've done. But, like, you know, you, you've played in a bunch of bands. Yeah, you, I mean, La Volta and Hatfield are, like, my, you know, my pride. You know, those are my two favorite things. Um, okay. It's funny because whenever I take a new job or leave to start a different company doing trailer stuff, I say, look... Um, I have this history in music. At the age of 53, I still have the opportunity to play in front of a lot of people. And so when that those opportunities come up, you have to let me go <laughs> and, and keep my job waiting for it. And they do. Like, they think it's cool. You know, like people, right. people who aren't in music, who get around musicians, like <laughs> think you're cool no matter what. <laughs> um, so they like it. They've been really accommodating. That's been amazing. Like the fact that I've both the balance is just it's it's incredible to me. It seems like your um, your history as a drummer and you know having that sense of rhythm would really be a help in your editing. That's amazing. Right? That's amazing that you said that because let's go back to Tom Kennedy and TKO Pictures. Um, I was not an easy hire because I was 30 years old and I was coming in basically as an assistant runner position. Like I'd be fetching the editor's sandwiches and you know, stuff like that and like making copies and doing errands. And, um, I did put on my resume that I played in these bands. And when he sat me down, he said, I'm hiring you because drummers make the best trailer editors. Like it's all cut to music. And, and like, that's why you're my guy. It was incredible. So yeah, very insightful that you said that because it did help. Um, and my career was kind of, when I was editing, I'm a producer now. I produce the trailers, but when I was editing, my career just took off like so quickly. And I think it was because of the rhythm. It's like the pieces that I was creating just felt were, were visceral. And I sort of became known for that. Do you remember what the first trailer was that you cut that you were like, oh shit, I've got this. This is really good. Well, I did TV spots. This is hilarious for... um Zoolander <laughs> and those got finished and then Black Hawk Down and then um, Drumline ah and that, see, that's I, just I killed casting. that yeah exactly no it was too perfect um, yeah and then I from, because of those then I worked on huge I did Troy and like Last Samurai and um, they were putting me on just really really big movies um and that was really just three and a half years into me starting. So yeah, it was. Um, now you're out there. You're you're sort of David Yao's brother in law. Yeah, time. yeah. My sister and Yao have been together for God almost seventeen years now, which I can't believe. Um, yeah. How hard, he, how hard was that to get used to? Well, <laughs> it was hard. I mean, you. I took him to a look late show at the Knitting Factory. Do you remember that? You guys. Did, I did. Um, yeah. 25 or 6 to 4, I think. That's right. Um, yes. And he and I were definitely just party buddies. We were going out every single fucking night and getting into lots of trouble. And <laughs> I, um, I went on vacation one summer and came home and they were a couple. And I, at first I was just like, fuck, like, I'm not going to be able to like do shit with you anymore. Like, you know, cause he'd have to right. tell my sister everything. Uh, but it's been great. I mean, he's, <laughs> right. he's part of the family. It's amazing. You know? And, yeah. I remember that night you guys showed up and I was like, Hey, get out here and let's play 
let's play a song. He was like, well, what do you want to play? I, I don't know. Let's, let's do 25 or 624. He goes, I, I don't know how to sing that. Well, <laughs> I think he only knew the first line. And yeah, I go, you know, just get out there and yow it up. You know, don't worry about it. Yeah, that was amazing. Todd, have you played shows with Scott before? Because I know, you know, you guys crossed paths over the years. Uh, Here's what we did. We uh, we toured when he was in Triple Fast. Right. Toured together. Um, and then we played a Juliana show at the X Games in Crested Butte, Colorado. Right. And I think Scott flew out and played guitar for that I gig. Flew out and played guitar, and you you taught me how to ski. I did teach you how to ski. That was a blast. Yeah, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, and by teaching me how to ski, you you took me up to the, the highest <laughs> mountain there, and then you pushed you... me off. Yeah. Do you remember they gave us those little ski like, You'll blades? Be okay. They gave us those little mini skis. I, Do you remember I, that thing? The, the snow blades. I still have them. I love them. <laughs> I have them too. All right, so Gabe. It, are you ready for your question to, to go over I'm like I'm delaying because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be out. Uh, you, you can do whatever you want. So we ask all our guests if they had to choose between two bands. Oh, this is going to be so embarrassing for Gabe. <laughs> one could no longer be in your collection. They don't have You don't have room for them. The other one is, is all you can play. Between <sighs> The Replacements and Iron Maiden. Oh, my God. It's not as easy as it sounds. That you know, Iron Maiden is up for the whole. Whoa, 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 whoa! Stasha, hey, what's the matter with you? This is hilarious. This is hilarious because I've done many podcasts, and the ones that I do that are are about music, I preface it by saying, before we get into this, I don't like the replacements, and I I don't like Joni Mitchell. So you have to know that. All right. Because see, Scott, um, you fucker. Oh man. (laughs) We didn't hear this ahead of time. Well, you still haven't given an answer as much as you may not like well, the replacements. Go ahead. On the same token, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a big Iron Maiden fan at all. I mean, that was really antithetical to my whole persona growing up. I was like, I despised that stuff. Um, however, what? You know what, go on. What? You despised learning about classic literature <laughs> jousting and sword fighting and flying jets on my own um, it's dueling by the way it's, dueling, it's not jousting yes. it's dueling um he is impressive i do love the number of the beast fencing oh yeah well come on killers right, so. is killers is pretty killer it's pretty killer um i have been more drawn to judas priest these days it's good stuff I love it. Um, Those RCA records, too. The really early ones. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Yep. I have the same level of disdain for both Iron Maiden and The Replacements, so I don't think I can choose. Not another non-choice. Two weeks in a row. You have to choose, Todd. I have to choose? It's a Sophie's choice. You know what? I'm a sucker for Kids Don't Follow, so I'll take The Replacements. (laughs) Wow. Yep. That's anti-Iron Maiden there. That's, That's blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was quite a roller coaster because it really was. I saw like Ben was like he was over there. He was he was confident. He really? Was, like, no, I wasn't. He was like I, you know. I was not. I will say this: I've I've spent time with Brother Paul, and I think he is a wonderful individual. So oh, that's that's how could you how could you not like those records? They're they're pretty terrific. They don't they don't speak to me. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Tim probably. Um, uh-huh. 
I love Kids Don't Follow. There's songs that I love, but then I hear like, da 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 da, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I can't listen to this. Uh-huh. You know the it's song I'm talking about? What is that you don't song like skiffle? called? Skiffle? I'm not down. I will skiffle. dare is what you're doing. I will dare. You're doing. Yeah, I, will I will dare. dare. I was doing. I will dare. Todd. Yeah. So. There, there's these two bands or acts that I feel have have a bad reputation when it comes to their live shows, but every time I've seen them, they've been amazing. And maybe you can talk about this from the inside. So the replacements okay. are one of them. I've never seen a bad replacement show, but I but people are always saying, oh, they were drunk, they were fucking this and that, blah 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 blah. But I also hear the same thing about Evan Dando and the repl- and and Lemonheads, mm-hmm. and I've never seen a bad Lemonhead show or a bad Evan Dando show. When you were actually touring, did the tour have its ups and downs for you in the band? Um, I think we did a good job most nights. Um, Evan. He's notorious for fucking up his Los Angeles shows for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and though that gets, you know, there's a big megaphone when that, yeah, when that happens. Yeah. Um, I was not involved, whatever happened with him in Jawbreaker last year. I heard that was a disaster. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Evan's a professional. I think we've done some good, good shows. Who has a reputation for putting on great shows, and every time you see him, it's fucking god awful? God, let me think about that. Dire Straits. <laughs> I don't know if they you've, have a good reputation, but you've I saw seen them once Dire Straits. I saw them once at Radio City Music Hall, and the sound was awful. His voice sounded terrible, like so thin and tinny. And I was like, "What the? What fuck? year was this?" Yeah. Because I'm a big uh, fan of the of the Making Movies record. I don't know if you're familiar with that album. Yeah, sure. That's the that's that's the great one. That's yeah, that's the, the record. That Sultans of Swing is on that one. What's the one after Making Movies? The one that's like got like five songs on it. Right. Oh, um, Love Over and, Gold. Oh, I played that like last tour to to punish everybody, and it was just <laughs> it was it was bad. It worked. Um, I've seen Bob Dylan be pretty horrible. I walked out of a Bob Dylan show. You walked mm-hmm. out of a Bob Dylan show. I did. Sure. And I'm a fan. Gabe, what yeah. about you? I can't think of a band that I really liked that always put on good shows that disappointed me. Didn't I, I, you I, walk out of Rod Stewart not too long ago? I wasn't there to see Rod Stewart. <laughs> but when he comes out, what did he open up with? Hot Legs. Addicted to Love. Uh, addicted to oh, love? he opened up with okay. He went to go see Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart opens up with Addicted to Love. Wow, <laughs> what? That's crazy. That's like when Robert Palmer covered New Day Rising by Husker Du. What? Huh? Yeah. huh? <laughs> yes. This is true. Look at you can find it on the YouTube's. Wow. <laughs> he kind of killed it too, like yeah. in a good way. That's Looney Tunes. Oh, I, but, I've got to hear Gabe, this. Didn't you say that Rod Stewart brought out the whole sort of all yeah, female had the, backing the, band? He had the female <laughs> band playing with the hair slicked back and the dresses what? and stuff. It was it was just like the video. I couldn't believe it. I'm, and I was there, and I was like the youngest one there. I couldn't believe it. Uh, such a great instrument that Rod Stewart has, and such a disregard for it. He's got this <laughs> God-given gift. That he just throws away on shit. Aren't, see, Gabe, aren't you going to see Cheap Trick tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to see Cheap Trick tomorrow night in Jacksonville. I'm going to meet up with, with Brian and uh, check out Cheap Trick. I think it's just an evening with, so it should be a long show. Mm-hmm. They've never disappointed, ever. No. But you know what Gabe's favorite 
Cheap Trick song is? No, no, no. I didn't say it was my favorite no, 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 Cheap no. Trick Let him song. guess. Let Todd guess. No, you'll never guess. <laughs> I'll give you my next paycheck if you can guess. She's tight. <laughs> no. That's number two. No. <laughs> um, is it something from The Doctor? No, no, he's not that deep. <laughs> Nobody's that deep. Two tricks, not that deep. You know who's that deep? You know who's down with the doctor is Andy Gerber. He is that guy. Is he's stuck with him through thick and thin? I'm telling you. Well, he sure has, but there's no way he can honestly like the doctor. There's some good songs on there, buddy. No, we we did a bit a couple weeks back where we asked what was our best cover songs, and I said, uh, "Ain't that a shame." From the Budokan record. Ain't That a Shame is Gabe's favorite Cheap Trick song. No, it's not my favorite Cheap Trick song. It's my favorite cover. That's your favorite cover of all time. That was number one on my list. Wasn't No, it wasn't number one. It was like number two. Scott, what's your favorite cover of all time? Uh, Solitaire, the Mark Lanigan cover. Oh, wow. I think you're wrong, but um, Ben, what about you? <laughs> um... I can't remember. I don't know that I figured it out, but I, li- I like uh, Shonen Knife's version of Top of the World, the Carpenter's song. Good one. Another Carpenter's pick. Yes. Butthole's version of American Woman. You think that's the best? <laughs> <laughs> well, he came out pretty quick with that. Yeah, I like no that. Um, come on, Devo's Satisfaction. I like Devo's oh, Satisfaction. Weird. I'm a big fan of the Pixies' uh uh, head yeah. on. Oh yeah, that is a good cover. Yeah. Watch but have you heard that Mark Lanigan covers record? No. Imit- imitations? No. Nope. You're already drinking wine after after you get off here. Put it on and <laughs> cry cry tears. I will. Did you read the book, the um, Sing Backwards and Weep? I did. Yeah. It was really something. I read that during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think we all did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, man. I'm really bummed out. I know. It's awful. He was actually living at a buddy of mine's house when he passed. Um, Donal Logue. Hey, this is a story. Oh, that's um, right. He used to be your tour manager. He was our tour. He was Bullet Volta's tour manager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he wrote an uh, incredibly funny piece about it for the National Lampoon. Um, about tour managing us. He had that show not too long ago. Well, by now it was a while ago, but it was uh, Terriers. Great. Yeah, that's a Fucking while great ago. Great show. Scott. That was Scott, a great that's, show. That's like 20 so, years ago at this point. It was not, <laughs> that, was not that long ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me look. No, he was on like a show called Grounded for Life 20 years ago, which was like a sitcom. No, oh, you're right. It's from two, It's from 2010, so it's only 20. It's only 13 years old. That's right. Oh. Trying to make me feel old. It's a long time. That's like, that's the same distance of um, when Woodstock happened to when I discovered X at this point. <laughs> so. Yeah, don't 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 play those, <laughs> those time things. It's, it's, it's really just get worse and worse. I know. And worse. It's it's like, well, here's one. Um, Steely Dan, Hey Nineteen. Yes. He was trying to explain Aretha Franklin to the to the nineteen year old. Right. That would be like me being like, Hey Nineteen. That's the Strokes' "Room on Fire" or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, like that'd be like me explaining the second Strokes record to a girl, like at this like time-wise, right? Yeah, and that's not even really your shit. No, you know, <laughs> not at all. 
I mean, you trying to explain your shit to some some nineteen year old now is they would yeah, look at me like no I had precedent. no head. Yeah, look like I, if I was trying to explain Killdozer to somebody, <laughs> right? Hey, nineteen, that's Killdozer. <laughs> so, Todd, Todd, yeah. Uh-huh. What's a what's a recent trailer that you've produced that we should all check out that you're okay? Um, Sisu. S I S. Yeah, have you, Scott? You must have seen that trailer. Is that the origin story of uh, the legend of? Steve no, Zissou? it's this crazy Finnish guy who kills Nazis, um, and he can't. It's kind of like a John Wick, but during World War II, and a Finnish director did it, and they shot it in Finland, and it's awesome. Which Finnish director? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> well, this sounds like somebody who might have done something beforehand, right? He might have, yeah. But look it up, Sisu, S-I-S-U. Um, Sisu, 2022 film. You would love it, Scott. It's, it seems like really up your uh, alley. My finest moment, I think, was I made the trailer for the best movie of all time, which is Paddington 2. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah. People nice. love that movie. Have you not seen it? I saw Paddington 1. Forget so that. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, no. Paddington 2 no. is way Paddington 2 is way better than Paddington. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I w- do you like Paddington 2? No, than- I don't care about Paddington. I don't give a shit about that bear. No, no, movie- I'm not asking you. I'm asking okay. if you like Paddington 2 better than Babe Pig in the City. That's a good question. That's, That's a, a really, really good question. Because uh, I would say Pig it's in the right City. It's right up there. It's right it up is. There. They're both it's the right Citizen Kane of pig movies. Todd, did you see that uh, thank, Nick Cage thank the, movie? Wait, thank, thank the pig. pig. Thank the pig. Thank you, thank, pig. Thank the pig. Um, the uh, unbearable. Yeah, Nick Cage. Because yeah, he, yeah I did that trailer. About Paddington Two and all the time. The company I work for did that trailer. Yeah, and they yeah put the Paddington Two thing in. Yep, that's great. Oh, it's in the Nick Cage movie. I thought you said the Nick Cave movie. No, Nick Cage movie. Um, the un- what, what's that movie called? Unbearable the- weight of something. Talent. Massive talent. Massive talent. Yeah. Yeah. He and Pedro Pascal bond over Paddington too. Oh, that's right. You know who likes Pedro Pascal? Everybody. 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 Every time that you're- 